Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. All right, everybody. That's all the time you get. You can talk some more after church. All right. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Andrew. I'm on staff here. Pastor Adam is in Seattle. Uh, He had had a vineyard worship thing out there, and today is his birthday. So what time is it right now? It is 6.30 in Seattle. Everyone text him right now. (laughs) Happy birthday, Pastor Adam. He will love that. Um, yeah, so one thing I was thinking yesterday, did, did your horse win? Did everybody's? No. no. I was thinking about this. Uh, we do, around Christmas time, we do the thing where we wear our Christmas PJs at one event. And I don't think we do that kind of stuff enough. So next year, help me remember, Emily, at staff in about 48 weeks, that uh, everyone needs to wear their hat to church the next day. We should do that. We should do that for all the holidays. After the Met Gala, where you're want to see someone in like some you know hot dog dress or something, you know, where your Met Gala, you know, every holiday will do something. Um, we are maybe not that one. Uh, we're going to continue in our series. Essentially, uh, we're, we're basically keeping with the, the church lectionary. Uh, some, you know, some Sundays, some parts of the calendar, we kind of do our own thing. Uh, but then there are other parts of the church calendar where we just kind of hop in the flow with the global church. And we're doing that. This is called Eastertide. And so it was, uh, it was actually pretty easy to pick my passage this week. It was selected for me. So um, I'm actually, uh, I've really enjoyed encountering today's passage because uh, there were just some things that I kind of saw a little bit differently than, than the way I've seen them uh, before. And so this has been fun. Uh, it's John chapter 14, verse 1 through 14. And so we're going to hop, we're going to hop right in and go ahead and read this. <clears throat> Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If, it were, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. 
Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, uh, let's circle back. If you don't mind, put the, the first uh, verse up there and we'll leave that up for a minute. Uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, I am an Enneagram 2. And so uh, this is a verse uh, that, that on the surface really resonates. Um, but one of the things that we really try to do here, and you know, hopefully most churches try to do this, but we really want to handle the scriptures with care. Uh, we want to always consider the context of the scripture. And this is a, a verse that lifted from its context, I think could be a bit misinterpreted. And so for the Enneagram twos of the world, it is good to remember the context. And what I mean by that is uh, I'm all about the good feelings, right? Um, to me, this verse is something that I could use to go up to you in your difficulty and say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. So stop bumming me out. <laughs> Jesus said it. There's a problem. Uh, chapter 13, uh, we, don't, we don't have this, but literally the chapter prior to this in verse 21 says this. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And there it goes. My whole plan <laughs> to never feel anything sad. <laughs> there it goes. Jesus was deeply troubled. And it's not an anomaly. Jesus, I think, was troubled on multiple occasions. What happened when he found out that Lazarus had died? He wept. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? He asked the Father. He said, hey, your will be done. Your will be done. But if there's any way, if there's another way. He drove out the, the money changers from the temple. I think what he had seen happening there was a bit unsettling to him, right? So Jesus at times himself was troubled. So maybe the conclusion not to draw here is, oh, it's not about necessarily that being troubled is wrong, but maybe we need to start from this place. Why are you troubled? What is it that's troubling you? As a parent... Uh, and I imagine most parents in here can, can resonate with this a lot of times. You encounter troubled children. They're troubled. They're upset. Why are you upset? Well, there's something I want to do, but I know you're going to say no. <laughs> and I am troubled by this. <laughs> Which my initial thought usually is, yeah, go with that instinct. I'm probably going to say no. <laughs> if you think I'm going to say no, I'm probably going to say no. No, that's not, that's not what I said. Say, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to say, but you should at least say, you're already upset and you've not even asked me what it is you want to ask me, right? Uh, there are, you know, and not, this isn't just for kids, but how often are we uh, already upset about the thought of being ridiculed for something or failing at something, 
right? We're already troubled before anything actually happens, right? So sometimes we are needlessly troubled. I moved from Tennessee to here in 2020, 23 years, 23 years ago. What'd I say? I don't know. (laughs) Whatever. I've been here a while. And uh, I, I grew up a big Tennessee fan, and so there's been, you know, any time that Tennessee has lost to Kentucky in football, basketball it's normal, but in football, any time there's just a sense of dread that comes over me, like, oh, I've got to go out and see these people. <laughs> and yeah, football's on Saturday, so I'm here, got to be here the next day, and just feel a bit of that anxiety, like, oh, man, I'm going to catch it. And here's the thing. And without fail, it just didn't really materialize. There's only one or two jerks, and everybody else was fine. (laughs) Hardly anybody said anything. Now, to be fair, it's only happened three times since I've lived here. (laughs) But you you get the point. Needlessly troubled. However, sometimes we have good reason to be concerned. Sometimes we have good reason to be troubled. So what was the point here when Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled? What was he follow up with? Trust in God and trust also in me. So I think to really understand this, we need to actually look back a little bit in verse 13, or chapter 13. What's going on in chapter 13? Well, several things are going on in chapter 13. Number one, uh, this is kind of the, the upper room moment, and Jesus washes their feet. So that's already a little unsettling, if you could imagine. Jesus washing your feet. And, you know, Peter, you know, of course, resisted at first, and Jesus was like, no, you, you, got, <laughs> you need this. And Peter's like, okay, fine. But it's upside down. So that's in the first part of the chapter. Then... Jesus lets them know that someone's going to betray him. What? Someone's going to betray him. He also indicates that he's going away. So essentially, this man they've been following, they've left everything. They're following this person. And essentially, their world is feeling like it's unraveling. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to leave us. So understandably, this troubles them, right? But Jesus gets right to the heart of it and speaks to it. And by saying, no, you can trust God. You can trust him. My leaving doesn't mean you're getting left. Your world is not falling apart. Actually, what's happening is I'm setting things right. I'm actually making the way. There's plenty of room in my father's house. You're not getting left. So the thing that's troubling you shouldn't be troubling you. Because actually what's happening is the opposite, right? Things are being made right. And we already start to see a little bit here that, you know, sometimes we look at uh, some of these verses... Uh, can we pull the, the next one up there? 
verse 2. Trust also in me. Next slide. Here we go. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And again, this is another spot where we want to look at the service, or we tend to look at the service and think this is talking about heaven, right? But really the context here and a lot of the language here isn't really solely about what's to come, but it's about what's happening now. He's preparing a place. He's making a way. The kingdom of heaven is being inaugurated. It's being initiated, and it's breaking in. So it's not just a future word, but a now word. So when Jesus says, don't be troubled, you can trust in me, and you can trust in God. Let's move on. All right, so we're getting now into some of the other verses that, that we're pretty familiar with. Uh, let's go on to verse Uh, All right, he said, you know, you know the way. No, we don't. Thomas said, I have no idea where you're going. How can I know the way? Technology. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. Now, scholars refer to this passage as the first recorded Jesus juke in history. I don't know if you are aware of that, but that's, I think N.T. Wright said that. So Thomas said, Jesus said, you know the way. Thomas said, I don't know the way. And Jesus said, it's me, Jesus Duke. I am the way. Now, however, how has this verse been used? We often talk about the gospel. Uh, around here, we like to talk about how the gospel shouldn't be reduced to not going to hell, right? And this verse is one, is a great example of how we can kind of lift a verse from its context and really kind of minimize uh, what the gospel is about. And this verse is not simply about not going to hell. In fact, it's, it can be almost weaponized, a tool uh, to help those who know the password that you can get in while keeping others out, right? You're at the gates of heaven. What's the password? I think I wrote it down. It's Jesus. Okay, you can get in. Right? And so we want to make these constructs to maybe keep other people out. And this verse isn't about a club you join, it's about someone you know. And I want to echo a little bit what Adam has said up here many, 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 many times. We, recom- we recommend that no one go to hell. Highly recommend that no one go to hell. <laughs> uh, we think that's actually a, uh, a perk, you know, to, to following Jesus is avoiding hell. We think that's a good, uh, we think that's a good thing. It's a pretty uh, significant perk to following Jesus. But here's what we don't want to do here. We don't want to reduce the gospel to, some, to that, right? We don't want to just reduce the gospel as our way of avoiding hell and going to heaven. And we also don't want to be the arbiters of who does and doesn't get to receive a place in the Father's house which apparently has lots of room. We want to preach as faithfully as we can. We want to point to Jesus, but I've got three jobs. I don't want to apply for the gatekeeper at heaven. So we don't want to do that. We don't want to reduce the gospel. We don't want to be the arbiters of who's invited to the Father's house. 
We don't want to construct these mandatory checklists, like you've only done seven of the eight things, back of the line, fella. We don't want to do that. And we don't want to reduce the kingdom of heaven to just a far off place. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is not something that can be manufactured. It's something, something that can be built. It's not something that can be legislated. And I think sometimes we tip our hands just a little bit when, it's, uh, when we find ourselves using some language. Maybe even we don't speak it, but we feel it like if this person isn't the governor, if this person isn't the president, what impact is that going to have on the kingdom? Because here's the truth. None. Is it important who's in Frankfurt? Is it important who's in the White House? Sure, those things are important. Is it important who's in the Kremlin? Yeah, all those things are important. Does it ultimately impact the kingdom of heaven? No. It doesn't, because the kingdom of heaven can't be legislated. It can't be manufactured. It can't be constructed. The kingdom of heaven is something that's released. You get invited. Remember, there's lots of room. You get invited to the kingdom. You accept the invitation. And then from there, it's inside out. Jesus abides in you. The Holy Spirit resides in you. And then from you comes the kingdom of heaven in your home, in your school, in your work. That is the way that Jesus is talking about. Even before the Mandalorian, that was the way. The kingdom of heaven comes from you. It's released. So maybe what we need to think of when we hear, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we need to think less of an exit. We're taking an exit out of this place and into another place, but it's more of an on-ramp to traveling life with the Father. So he's the way. He's the truth. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still didn't know who I am? You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now here's something I believe with all my heart, that every human being deep down in their core wants to be connected to their creator. I believe that. And I think most of the world recognize their, their desire to be connected to God. And obviously, a lot of, there's a lot of different beliefs, a lot of ideas surround God, the idea of God. But that essential longing, I think, is there. And even for those that don't believe God exists, they probably still have that same longing. They just maybe look, try and look elsewhere to, to kind of meet that real essential inner desire. And I think this is a place where maybe modern culture is a little bit at odds with itself. On the one hand, we've never been more focused on individual freedoms, independence, our own truth, right? But I think that puts us a little bit at odds because I also think we're living in this profoundly unsettled moment. There's a resting blanket of anxiety that just kind of sits over the whole world. And I think it, at our core, at everyone's core, what we're longing for is to experience, uh, what they're longing for is like that, that settled security connection to our creator. Here's the thing. If you live long enough, you'll experience some sort of national or global events that really upset the whole apple cart of your life. So in my lifetime, it's things like the challenger exploding, that that was a new thing. Oh, growing up in the 80s and everything's happy. And now, not, 
not just like somebody you know is hurt or you know you have a funeral or something, but this is something like, oh, everybody's feeling this. 9-11 obviously changed the whole world. Everyone felt that. COVID, right? So this kind of anxiety just kind of sits over the whole world and it kind of, it just unsettles thing, uh, unsettles everything. And even the most well-adjusted, emotionally stable, glass half full people on the planet have felt a little more vulnerable these last couple years, right? Even the twos. So why am I getting to all this? Again, creation longs for the settled, secure foundation. Creation longs for her creator, her father. And so part of the good news in John chapter 14 is we see that Jesus is drawing this very specific line from him to the father. And it's not just a line. It's this synergy, this connectivity. They are inseparable. And so you want to know the father? You want to be in tune with your creator? Jesus is the way and he is the truth. And so in a world that largely pushes back against the concept of absolute truths, we believe that there is something that is absolutely true. And I, I think I'd like to say it this way. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And through him, we can know the Father. So Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. And I tell you the truth, this is verse 12. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Okay, uh, Pastor Ray, can you stick your hand up? If you've never done this, get on Amazon and purchase The Impossible Mentor by Ray Hollenbach. The Impossible Mentor. Jesus tells us to do all these things. And then he says this crazy statement, you'll do even greater things than me. And our temptation is to think, whatever, <laughs> you're Jesus, you're cheating, <laughs> you're God, we can't do all this stuff. Greater works, what does that mean? Jesus raised a dead guy, how do we top that? I mean, at best we could do the same thing. How do we do something greater? Well, you know, he's talking to a room of, what, 11 people? If y'all just do the same things that I'm doing, it's going to have a greater impact on the world. So if this room of a couple hundred people, whatever, we just do the same things that Jesus did, what impact are we going to have on our community, on our families? We can heal the sick. We can raise the dead. We can extend forgiveness. Just stories like the woman at the well. Someone that society would frown upon. But we can go to her with kindness. We can do what Jesus did, and in doing so, we can also reflect the Father. You see Jesus, you see the Father. If I see Roger, I can see the Father. Dr. Wigington, I can see the Father. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. I want to circle back to the very beginning uh, of the message for just a moment. 
back to the part about, you know, Jesus comforting them when they were feeling uh, troubled. Because really this whole chapter is a response to them being troubled. So he's laying out all this hope about him being the way, the truth, and the life. And, this, and what's really at the center all, at, at, at all of this, this whole passage, is just the truth that we can know Jesus and we can know the Father. That's at the heart of all of it. So I just, uh, I just started thinking, okay, what, what, why is this resonating with me? What's my... Uh, maybe my personal story. So just a part of my story is uh, I was born with a detached retina in my left eye. I don't know if you notice. It's a little off. And when I was 11, I had to have surgery, had some complications, some blood vessels in the back were hemorrhaging. My eye pressure was going up. It was uncomfortable, painful, headaches. So I had to go have the surgery in Memphis, had to travel. This was all new. Um, and nothing life-threatening, but it was scary. And, you know, for me at that point in my life, to be frank, I hadn't really had to do really any hard things yet. My, you know, my parents were married and they loved me and I was in a supportive community and life was pretty okay. It's pretty good. So this was honestly maybe the really first truly difficult thing that I remember. So I went through the surgery. It was a long surgery. Um, it was painful. They had to put like this little gas bubble behind my eye <laughs> to like help this fluid come out. I remember having to sleep uh, in the hospital face down on like this foam. To me, it looked like a toilet seat. It was like this foam and just imagine, like, the, the hospital smell infused. It's like, what would make this worse? Let's dip this in the hospital smell. It was like an essential oil, but it wasn't patchouli. It was hospital. So <laughs> i got to sleep in this thing. And my instructions were very clear. Like, don't roll over. That fluid needs to come out. It is possible that, like, those things could pop. You know, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I can't remember now exactly how they phrased it. But what got through to me was, like, stay on your stomach or you're going to have to do all this over again. That's what, I, that's what got through to me. So I remember uh, one point waking up in the night, being on my back and panicking, right? <laughs> back in the Go back to sleep. And thinking, I've done it. I'm going to have to go through this whole thing all over again. And yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard. But I prayed. For, the, for like the, the first time in my life, really, like the first time that it wasn't, Let's bless our food. The first time, like, Sunday school, hey, will you close us in prayer? Like, the first time, like, I wanted to pray. Like, I needed to pray. So I prayed in, in earnest. 
and God was there. And it's, um, you know, sometimes there's so many different ways to experience the Lord, and sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes you might hear an audible voice. Sometimes you might feel things. You might feel warmth. You might see visions. Like, God can speak in so many different ways, and the only way I know to explain this is that I just know he was there. So that moment, uh, I think the best language I have for it, that moment has served as a bungee cord for my life. So how far out I wonder, I can't get too far. Because I'll never forget that. There's been other moments along the ways, other anchor type moments, other bungee cords, other strands, but that's one, that's one. So when I wonder, low places, dark places, dry places, I can't get too far away because I've known the Father. Glenn, y- y'all, can, y'all can come on up. Um, so for us today, just a couple of questions. Um, have you taken stock of your bungee cord moments? Are you in a season of life where you feel like you've wandered out? Maybe you just need a moment of remembering. That's the thing about a bungee cord. Like, it'll, all you really have to do is stop resisting. <laughs> it'll draw you back. So maybe for some of us in the room, we just need to have a, a, a moment of remembering. Like, there's been times where I've known the Father's affection. I've known it. And even for me, even in, even in seasons of doubt, I've looked back at that time and, and attempted or considered, like, rewriting it, reimagining it. Was that just my imagination? What was that? But I can't. I can't. I know who it was. I know who's there. So for you, do you need a moment? Do you need to take some time and remember, like, man, do I need to let the Father draw me back in? And then for some of you, maybe you're hearing this and you're honestly a little bit bummed. And maybe you're thinking, I have no moments. Well, I just want to remind you what Jesus said. In his Father's house, there's plenty of space. You are invited. There is room for you. And so we invite you to come and accept the invitation of the Lord into his house. Yeah. You can stand. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>